your light sensor can spy on you. Apple's app store is being split in the EU. Apple is releasing a new security feature, a flaw in a ton of GPUs. Brave is removing a privacy feature and a lot more. Welcome to SR163, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. As always, we have the normal promo segment and we have a couple announcements, so hang with us before we get into the news. Promo segment, as always, these are free and we're not really sponsored or anything, at least as of right now. And so if you want to contribute to this podcast and keep this going for free, patreon.com slash surveillance pod, and you also get some fun perks in exchange for that. And we just super appreciate all of you. So thank you all for contributing to this podcast. We really love that. Um, and if you don't like Patreon, we also support LibraPay and we also support Monero as well. So you can find all of that down in the description. Thank you to everybody who contributes to us. Two announcements on my end, and then Nate has one. So one, uh, I forgot to mention this, but someone actually followed through and made <laughs> that meme. I, I, I don't know who caught that, but I said, like, we need to make a move it, move it compilation um, with, like, the, the lemur from Madagascar and then all the move it data breaches and someone freaking made it and it's hilarious and it's actually a little bit eye-opening just how many things were caught in this data breach so I'll leave a link to that down in the description if you want a good laugh it will make you laugh it's hilarious so go check that out they made it um, in like less than a day after we put that out <laughs> yeah they made it me quick away. they made it quick so thank you for all for engaging in my ideas i like that um and then also we have a new channel surveillance support clips um not many people subscribe to it when we first made our first announcement it's about to break 500 subscribers um but we'd like to see it hit a thousand as soon as possible so if you like surveillance support uh, definitely check out surveillance support clips which is going to take individual clips um from some of the stories that are not the highlight stories so that you can have more specific videos to share along with people um we just posted one that's about LastPass, for example and it just says like delete LastPass now so instead of you linking someone to this 50 minute podcast you just link them hey LastPass kind of sucks here's why and it's less than a two minute video i think so um definitely get subscribed to that and now to nate um we just had a patron post something that was interesting that they wanted to share uh regarding our which we'll talk about this week too but last week we talked about a story about how apple's releasing this um this security feature to prevent people from like watching you put in your passcode. They said BlackBerry used to have a feature called picture passcodes where you could literally watch someone enter a passcode and not know what the code was. Basically you picked a photo and then dragged a number to a spot on the picture. Each time you unlock your phone, you'd have a different randomly generated grid of numbers, but you still had to drag the same number to the same spot. There's a video demo on YouTube. Uh, it's titled how to use picture password on BlackBerry 10.2.1. And they said they were just trying to call attention to this feature and just kind of point out some alternative ways of doing things there's a free idea so um just cool stuff all right and now we're gonna dive into the highlight story which is your tablet's light sensor can spy on you and actually i don't believe this is restricted to just tablets but that's what they focus on um, it has become standard practice for apps and websites to request permission when they want access data from cameras microphones or geolocation systems, yet devices like smartphones, tablets, laptops, and even smart TVs are packed with other sensors whose potential security risks are often overlooked. Um, among these are the ambient light sensor. Pretty much these are used by your operating system to know like how dark or light it is in the room to be able to alter screen brightness and things like that. Um, and so there's nothing really inherently wrong with this, but researchers have shown that these sensors can detect light intensity changes, which can then be used to infer what kind of TV programs someone might be watching, um, what websites they are browsing or even keeping 
keypad entries on a touchscreen. By cross-referencing data from the ambient light sensor on a tablet with specially tailored videos displayed on the tablet screen, it's possible to generate images of a user's hands as they interact with the tablet. While the images are low resolution and currently taken in practical amount of time to capture, this kind of approach could allow a determined hacker to infer how someone is using the touchscreen on their device. They do say that this is no easy feat though because the device has just a single pixel that registers light intensity at any given moment. And attackers get around this by essentially sacrificing temporal resolution for spatial resolution. And they display a rapid sequence of patterns on the tablet's display that light up different portions of the scene, resulting in different light intensity readings at the sensor. And a reconstruction algorithm is able to take this sequence of readings and match it up with the known illumination patterns to piece together an image. Very creative. Um, the acquisition time in minutes is too cumbersome to launch simple and general privacy attacks on a mass scale. So as always with these cool research articles, it's not something that you should be concerned about when just you are browsing the internet. But um, they have highlighted this is a security risk and they would not rule out the significance of targeted collections for tailored operations against chosen targets. So again, very specific stuff here. They have issued a new standard that limited access to the light sensor API, which has already been adopted by browser vendors. So there already are some mitigations against this, but there are still no blanket restrictions for Android applications. In addition, the researchers discovered that some devices directly log data from the light sensor in a system file that is easily accessible, bypassing the need to even use the API. And one saving grace is that it is unlikely to ever work on a smartphone as the displays are simply too small. But they say that the results demonstrate how seemingly harmless combinations of components and mobile devices can lead to surprising security risks. So very interesting stuff. Um, on my end, again, this falls into the bucket of I'm not personally concerned about this, but it's still very neat and um, a bit spooky how just a little sensor can do that much damage. Do you have any thoughts? Um, no, kind of the same. I think the article uh, did a really good job of outlining like this is not something that would be economical to roll out at scale. Um, I also agree like it's really interesting. Uh, it, it also sounds like uh, one of those things that you would have to um, – there would probably be a degree of access to the device involved. Like they would probably have to plant some kind of malware to recover the logs that they talked about or something like that. Like this isn't just going to be something that they – roll out for no reason, you know, or uh, not roll out for no reason. This isn't going to be something that they can just randomly pick off any device. You know, they have to have some kind of access. I would imagine that's what it sounds like. Um, again, unlikely to ever affect phones. So that's kind of a plus because I think most of us are using phones more often than like tablets or something like that. It's crazy the things that people come up with to like, Huh, wonder what happens if I do this. Oh, look, I can see your password. Like, that's pretty wild. Okay, um, it was actually kind of a light week in general this week. So we'll start off with the data breaches. We have, uh, this isn't really a new breach per se, but Have I Been Pwned has added 71 million emails from the NAS.API stolen account list. So this is a data set that is a massive collection of 1 billion credentials compiled using credential stuffing lists and data stolen by information stealing malware. It should be noted that while the NAS.API data set includes the word NAS, it is not related to network attached storage devices or NOS devices. Uh, while the post dates back almost four months, it hadn't come across Troy Hunt's radar. That's the guy from Have I Been Pwned until now and inevitably also hadn't been sent to the aforementioned tech company. So basically he mentions like, um, just to give, give a re quick, quick recap for that. He mentions that uh, people are constantly emailing him like, hey, have you seen the Spotify data breach? And he's like, this is not a breach. This is like a combo list or like we've already added this, you know, stuff like that. Um, so there was a specific company that reached out to him with this list. And that's kind of the only reason he looked at it because at first glance, it's like, yeah, whatever, this is just another combo list. But, um, again, on closer look, it was like, actually, this is 
like it is a combo list, but this is one I've never seen before. And it's one I've heard about, but nobody's ever been able to like really access it. Hunt says the API dataset is likely old as it contained one of his and other Have I Been Pwned subscribers passwords that were used in the past. Uh, Hunt says in his case, the password was used in 2011, meaning that some of the data is over 13 years old. I guess just remember that, you know, we all made mistakes in the past. You can't, can't really undo them. Just keep that in mind going forward and try to be uh, proactive with your privacy. Vans and Supreme owner VF Corp says cybercriminal stole 35 million customers' personal data. And this is an update to an older story that we've already talked about. So VF Corp, again, is the parent company of popular apparel brands like Vans, Supreme, and the North Face. And they said that hackers stole the personal data of 35.5 million customers in a December cyber attack. And the filing on Thursday did not say specifically what kinds of personal data was taken or if the company yet knows what was stolen. They said they do not retain consumer social security numbers, bank account info, or payment card info for its consumer businesses, nor does the company have evidence that the hacker stole customer passwords. So it shouldn't be super serious, but still something to keep an eye on, and I'm sure we'll get more updates. All right, like I said, kind of a quick week this week. So companies, most of our stories come from Apple this week. Our first one is that the App Store is basically being split in two. So for those who are just joining us earlier last year, I believe, maybe even earlier, because let legislation moves at the speed of bureaucracy. Um, the European Union did a good thing, and they're trying to break up some of these monopolistic companies like Apple. So Apple, they're like, hey, you have this app store. Nobody can put anything on their phone without going through the app store. Developers have to pay these ridiculously high fees to use the app store. Like, this is not cool. You're gatekeeping, and it's harming. Like, it's basically making it so people don't own their devices. And uh, one of the rules they implemented was you have to start allowing sideloading. And there's been a lot of speculation about, is that going to be EU only? What's it going to look like? Well, apparently it's going to be EU only. Uh, Apple, quoting the article, Apple is gearing up to make changes to the App Store in the EU to comply with the region's impending Digital Markets Act. Apple is apparently planning to roll out adjustments to comply with the new legal requirement in the coming weeks, including splitting off the App Store in the EU from the rest of the world. So unfortunately, that's kind of all we know right now. Yeah, we do know this is coming in. I think they said... March or April, they said it was like seven weeks, so probably more like March. I guess that's how it's going to do it. Only EU users are going to be able to sideload, which is a shame. And uh, there's somehow they're going to have a separate app store over there that I guess is going to be a little more permissive. Maybe, maybe the app store will be how you sideload apps. I, I don't know. Well, I'll be curious to see how that works, even if I won't actually get to see it myself. I'm a little upset about this. <laughs> I am too. It's. It was the concern, there, right? When we saw the API change, there was a geographical aspect to the API, which made people think they're doing this only for the EU when everyone thought it'd be a global thing and they actually are only rolling this out to the EU. Hopefully the US takes a hint. Well, on a more positive note, Apple's releasing iOS 17.3 next week, which is bringing stolen device protection and collaborative playlist. Um, most, more specifically, we're going to talk about the stolen device protection, which is a security setting that gives an extra layer of protection if there's ever a time when someone steals your iPhone and also obtains your passcode, um, which was something that we were seeing actually happen, where people would pretty much shoulder surf and see you type in your password, then take your phone and they could then lock you out of your iCloud account. Um, so to enable this, once you get 17.3, uh, you go to settings, face ID and passcode, and then you enable stolen device protection, which will now require a biometric before performing sensitive actions. Yeah, this is an important thing to turn on because it's one of the not like hypothetical risks. It's one of the like, yeah, this actually happens to real people who go to bars and they get their iPhone stolen and they get locked out of, you know, their entire lives of photos because of this stuff. So definitely enable this. 
And there will be also a security delay if you change sensitive settings, including creating a new Apple ID password, turning off Find My, and updating select Apple ID security settings like removing a trusted device or phone number. However, no delay is required when your iPhone is at home, work, or other familiar locations. So um, yeah, really cool stuff. I'm excited to see this. I'll be enabling this on day one that it comes out. Everyone should enable this, actually. I can't find a single person who shouldn't turn this on. Yeah, I have a hard time thinking of a down downside. I mean, there probably is one. There's always an exception, but... For like 99% of people, I can't imagine there'd be any downside to this. Okay, and our last company story comes from AdGuard. And this is interesting. This one just dropped today as of, of, as of this recording. It says, keep your inbox clean with AdGuard temp mail. I'm just going to quote the article. AdGuard temp mail is a free temporary email address generator designed to shield you from tracking and keep your main inbox spam free. How does it work? When you enter temp mail's homepage, you'll get an anonymous disposable email address. Use it for untrustworthy services. If they share your temporary email address with third parties or send you spam, your main address will remain safe. Plus, they won't be able to track you through email. AdGuard temp mail's addresses are temporary and aren't stored long by design. Emails are automatically deleted 24 hours after you receive them, and a temporary mailbox is deleted after seven days of inactivity. But if you keep the page open or come back in a couple days, it won't disappear. It's best not to use your throwaway email address for confidential communications or to copy important information somewhere so you don't lose it. AdGuard TempMail is currently in a beta stage. Here's what we're planning to add in the future. Zero access encryption, TLS support on the SMTP server side, and, uh, image proxying and security checks for links. And of course, email privacy goes beyond temporary addresses. TempMail is just the first step in expanding our experience and tools. New email related products are planned. Stay tuned. Um... And then they go on to say, you know, of course, send them feedback if you try it out. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty neat. So for those who need one, here you go. All right, next story is kind of a bigger one, and it's going to enter into the research section. Um, but there's a flaw in millions of Apple, AMD, and Qualcomm GPUs, which could expose AI data. And this is due to a vulnerability in multiple brands and models of mainstream GPUs that could allow an attacker to steal large quantities of data from the GPU's memory. The silicon industry has spent years refining the security of CPUs, so they don't leak data in memory, even when they're built to optimize for speed. However, since GPUs were designed for raw graphics processing power, they haven't been architected to the same degree with data privacy as a priority. So to exploit the vulnerability, um, attackers need to already have established some amount of operating system access on a target's device. So um, you're already probably not in a great place if that's true. And modern computers and servers are specifically designed to silo data so multiple users can share the same processing resources without being able to access each other's data. But a leftover locals attack breaks down these walls. Exploiting the vulnerability would allow a hacker to exfiltrate data they shouldn't be able to access from the local memory of vulnerable GPUs, exposing whatever data happens to be there for the taking. They didn't find evidence that NVIDIA, Intel, or ARM GPUs contain the leftover locals vulnerability, but they did find it with Apple, Qualcomm, and AMD, who all confirmed a wire that they are impacted. This means that well-known chips like the AMD, Radeon, the, the AMD Radeon RX 7900 XT and devices like Apple's iPhone 12 Pro and M2 MacBook Air are vulnerable. Uh, the researchers did not find the flaw in the imagination GPUs they tested, but others may be vulnerable. And I also believe I read that the M3 patched this issue. So if you have the M3, I believe Apple has now fixed that. The Trail of Bits researchers, uh, really like Trail of Bits, by the way, um, but they caution that actually getting these various fixes to proliferate will not be easy. Even when GPU makers release usable patches, the device makers that incorporate their chips into PCs and other devices must then package and relay the protections to end users. So with a lot of players in the global tech ecosystem, it's going to be difficult to coordinate uh, to be able to patch this. And um, again, 
even though it requires existing access to targets devices, the potential implications are significant given that it is common for highly motivated attackers to carry out hacks by chaining multiple vulnerabilities together. So this could be pretty much a part of the chain. And also they caution that GPU memory security issues and vulnerabilities like these will become even more consequential as GPU virtualization becomes more common in public cloud infrastructure and more AI applications move from being implemented locally to running in shared cloud environments where theoretically someone could access someone else's data that they're not supposed to have access to. Just a, a piece of context that I probably should have included in here is they were specifically looking at large language models like ChatGPT and Llama and stuff like that. So that's why they talked about like servers with GPUs, like an average, like the server that you host the forums on and I host my website on and like we know this, but for listeners like that wouldn't have a GPU most likely. But the kind that, like, again, chat GPT and Llama and stuff do have GPUs and, you know, being able to pull people's queries and data, it could be problematic. Well, then we'll move on to a story that says AI can convincingly mimic a person's handwriting style. So researchers at Abu Dhabi's, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong and I apologize, Mohammed bin Zaved University of Artificial Intelligence say that they have developed technology that can imitate someone's handwriting based on just a few paragraphs of written material. The technology could help the injured to write without picking up a pen, but of course it also risks opening the door to mass forgeries and misuse. The tool will need to be deployed thoughtfully, two of the researchers said in an interview. Despite the concerns, investors said they plan to apply the research to real-world applications within months and they're looking for commercial collaborators. From decoding doctors' handwriting to crafting personalized advertising, the potential of this development is huge because why not monetize everything we can? Um, yeah, unfortunately, the article really didn't go into a lot of detail. And to be fair, the researchers probably didn't either because I, I think if I remember correctly, they said that they like patented some of this stuff. So yeah, this is kind of more one of those things we're sharing to say like, hey, this is possible. Have it on your radar. And uh, yeah, just be careful. I guess don't... Uh, don't upload pictures of your handwritten notes, maybe? And the last one is kind of fun. So eye shutdown scripts can help detect iOS spyware on your iPhone. So they found that infections with high profile spyware like Pegasus, Rain, and Predator could be discovered on compromised Apple mobile devices by checking shutdown.log, which is a system log file that stores reboot events. Kaspersky released Python scripts to help automate the process of analyzing the shutdown.log file and recognize potential signs of malware infection in a way that is easy to evaluate. Shutdown.log is written when upon rebooting a device and registers the time a process needs to terminate and their identifier. Um, and actually, so for context, there was another tool, I think, from iMazing, uh, which allowed you to scan your phone to see if you're infected with something like uh, these spyware things. But this is a different, perhaps more foolproof way, and from what I've seen, easier way to be able to tell if you're infected with something. Um, and it is on GitHub, I believe. I did quickly check this out. And also just massive props to Kaspersky for handling, like, without Kaspersky, like, I don't know what other organization would be giving us all this, like, free coverage for these spyware attacks. It's kind of crazy. Like all this is pretty much coming from Kaspersky. So good on them. All right, we'll move into politics, and we only have one story this week, and it's a quick one. The FTC has banned another data broker from selling your location info. Uh, InMarket is a Texas-based data aggregation company specializing in collecting and analyzing people's location data. The company gathers location from various sources, including its own applications like Checkpoints and Listies, and numerous third-party apps that incorporate its software development kit, or SDK. The InMarket apps have been downloaded onto over 30 million unique devices since 2017, reads the FTC complaint against InMarket Media. 
Respondent also makes the in-market SDK available to third-party app developers, and it has been incorporated into more than 300 such apps, which have been downloaded onto over 390 million unique devices since 2017. The FTC complaint says in-market maintains 2,000 categories of distinct, quote-unquote, audiences, which tracked people fall into, including, quote, Christian churchgoers, wealthy and not healthy, and parents of preschoolers. The FTC alleges that the tracked individuals have not consented to be tracked or for their sensitive data to be used for targeted advertising on the apps incorporated into its SDK. The U.S. agency explains that many of those third-party apps may not even be aware that their users' location data is combined with information from other sources to create detailed profiles. Ultimately, the FTC deems in-market's five-year data retention policy overly excessive for targeted advertising, significantly elevating the risk of misuse and exposure. For all these reasons, the FTC has taken action against in-market to prevent further proliferation of the abuse and to protect American customers from rampant location tracking. So under the proposed order in market will be prohibited from selling, licensing, transferring, or sharing any product or service that categorizes or targets consumers based on sensitive location. In addition, they will have to delete location data and products unless consented or anonymized, simplify consent withdrawal and data deletion processes, alert consumers about FTC app uh, FTC actions and offer opt-out or deletion options, collect and use location data only with explicit consent, create a program to protect sensitive location data, ensure SDK partners obtain proper consumer consent, and enforce a strict privacy policy and data retention plan. FTC's going hard in the last couple of weeks, and I'm here for it. Let's hope it keeps going. Now, open source, or FOSS. Uh, Brave browser has simplified its fingerprinting protection, and this is coming out with version 1.64 in a couple of months, and it's already in, in the nightly release. Um, but essentially, there's fingerprint resistance in Brave, and they have a standard and strict mode. And uh, they said that fewer than 0.5% of Brave users are using strict fingerprint protection mode based on their telemetry data, which quick note on that, I think that might be undervalued, mainly because people who enable strict mode, which is not a default, probably also disable telemetry, which includes myself and many other people I've seen on the internet. So I still don't think it's going to make a huge difference, but I do think it's probably you know, it's probably a few more than that. Anyway, they also think that because it's so few users, um, those users who do enable that are actually ironically more fingerprintable and stand out more from the rest of the crowd. And pretty much they're deciding to go away with this. And yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. Um, I actually made a whole video on Techler about this already. Um, so I'll leave that link down below if you want to see that. I cover this. It's like a whole 10-minute video really diving into the story. But I'd say for most people, this isn't a reason to leave Brave. But if you need something with strong fingerprint resistance, I'd be taking a look at Mulvad Browser, LibreWolf, or Tor, Tor Browser or something like that. But yeah, um, I understand where Brave is coming from here. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's an interesting decision. I don't know what you think about that one. I actually watched your, uh, your video during lunch. So, yeah, I was going to mention that, too. Um, I agree with you. You make a really good point about, like, the same people who use strict probably turn off telemetry. Um, I don't use strict, and even I turn off telemetry. So, yeah, that's probably a skewed metric. But that said, I kind of agree with you. Like, if you're really that hardcore about not being fingerprinted, you should probably be using something like Tor anyways, which I'm actually trying to use Tor a lot more lately. Um, or like you said, like Mulvad. Uh, Mulvad browser. Like, yeah, those are probably the two I'd recommend in that order. Like first I would go with Tor. And then if for some reason that won't work, like it's a website that blocks Tor, then I would use Mulvad. And if for some reason you can't use that, like you need a YubiKey to log in, then I would use Brave, which is actually what I've been doing lately. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it does kind of suck for those who do use it, but I agree with you. I think in the long run, it's probably not the end of the world. 
and there are still other great options. Sorry, everybody. Nate's video cut out, and he added his webcam, and then his audio is actually never working ever after that cut out. So I'm actually going to cover Nate's final two stories, starting with Wine 9.0, which was released with experimental Wayland graphics driver. So this Wayland graphics driver includes features like basic window management, support for multiple monitors, high DPI scaling, relative motion events, as well as Vulkan support. This isn't enabled by default. So if you want to use this, you have to actively enable it. And the sources down below will show you how to do that. It also adds support from many more instructions to direct 3D 10 effects. So desktop integration has been improved in this release and audio support has been enhanced in Wine 9. Among other changes, Wine 9.0 brings loader support for ARM 64X and ARM 64 EC modules, along with the ability to run existing Windows binaries on ARM 64 systems and initial support for building Wine for the ARM 64 EC architecture. Last but not least, the kernel has been updated, and there's a lot more details on all of this in the article. Very cool stuff. Super quick story from Molvad VPN. Um, they've now supported paying with PayPal, which uh, utilizes euros, USD, GBP, SEK, Australian dollars, and Canadian dollars. And the price is always equivalent to five euros. Exchange rates uh, will convert from the base price of five euros. So yeah, cool and Molvet to have another payment method. Our one misfit, which Nate originally covered, and I unfortunately am having to redo this whole thing because it's a fun one, is that your washing machine could be sending 3.7 gigabytes of data a day. So Here's kind of the story. Um, an LG washing machine owner and self-confessed fintech geek has asked the Twitterverse why his smart home appliance ate an average of 3.66 gigabytes of data daily. It's definitely comedic how this is written. So concerned about the washer's internet addiction, Johnny forced the device to go cold turkey and blocked it using his router UI. Had the LG washer been hacked, hijacked, or otherwise tampered with over the net? Or is this just the average data consumption for a modern smart appliance? Johnny's initial screenshot showed that on a chosen day, the device uploaded 3.57 gigabytes and downloaded about 100 megabytes and the data traffic was almost constant. Meanwhile, according to the ASUS router interface screenshot, the washing machine accounted for just shy of 5% of the internet traffic daily. So the owner did have some fun and said that this was possibly a DLC, a downloadable laundry cycle for, for the washing machine. Um, they did at one point ponder if someone was using the washing machine for crypto mining, and uh, another social media user highlighted a history of hackers taking over LG smart connected appliances. The SmartThink home appliances home hack vulnerability was patched several weeks after being made public, and a similar modern hack might use the washing machine's computer resources as part of a botnet. So taking control of an LG washing machine as part of a large botnet for cryptocurrency mining or nefarious network purposes wouldn't be as far-fetched as it sounds, and large numbers of relatively low power devices can be formidable together. So there is actually kind of a twist here, um, which is there's a favored answer to this data mystery, and it's actually to blame ASUS for misreporting it. Because there's an ASUS router firmware issue, um, which causes essentially an error, which there's, it causes inaccuracies in regards to data use. And actually they found that the same thing happened with Apple's iMessage. So other LG smart washing machines users show device data users from the router's UI. And it turns out these appliances more typically use less than one megabyte per day. Definitely an interesting story. And I would say that uh, it seems like the norm is not this much data usage, but it's still definitely a fun thing to think about. And again, just keep in mind what you're connecting to the internet. And it's hard to tell what's going on here. It could very well just be an Asus router issue for all we know. But um, yeah, just an interesting thing to think about. I think the fact people are even considering the fact that your laundry machine is getting hacked for some nefarious purpose, I think should make people think about what uh, washing machine they're getting and whether or not they're hooking it up to the internet. So fun little misfits. 
Right, and um, that's actually gonna finalize it for the week. So again, your light sensor can spy on you. Apple's app store is being split in the EU. Boo, Apple. Um, on the positive side, Apple is releasing a new security feature, which everybody should be enabling. Uh, there's a flaw in a ton of GPUs. Brave is removing a privacy feature and a lot more. Again, if you got value from this podcast today, um, definitely check out our Patreon down below at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. And if you don't like Patreon, we're also on LibrePay and we also support Monero. It's how we keep this podcast free and it's how we keep this almost every week and we try to be as consistent as we can as keep delivering the news to you but beside that i just want to say i'm happy for everyone to be here and be learning about privacy and security and keeping up to date with yourself and probably the people around you as well um and again if you like this podcast make sure to share it around if you want to get more individual clips check out surveillance support clips that's down in the description as well get subscribed so you can share more individual things with people um give us a rating if you're on a platform where that's a thing And that's all I have to say. Thank you all for watching and we'll see you next week.